The Big Light presents Hello, I'm Sean McDonald, and this is Blethered with Cinch Presents Transmit. I'm joined by brothers Stevie and Al of the phenomenal St. Phoenix ahead of their set at Transmit 2021. We talk about their early beginnings in band Vigo Thieves before going their own way. You'll hear about their tours with Young Blood and then Lewis Capaldi. And the lads reflect on how perseverance and a love for what they do has got them to where they are today. And as always, there's so much more. Blethered is going to be live at St Luke's in Glasgow on Friday the 26th of November with a very special guest. Register via the link in the episode notes to hear first about the pre-sale. It's going to be magic, so don't miss out. If you enjoy this episode, share it with somebody. Cheers. I've got so many things I want to ask you, right? Obviously, we're going to be talking about St. Phoenix, but I'm going to start with Vigo Thieves because that's something that, that people maybe wouldn't know so much about. Now, that was about 2008, is that right, in saying when you started? That was, uh, aye, it would have been 2008, aye. We used to go out to a, a place called um, Star, well, it used to be called Starker in Motherwell. We used to play our gigs there, uh, and there was always a, a good wee scene, and then you... you Moved into Glasgow after that, if you were brave enough and ready. Um, that was the, the kind of thing. But um, I started playing off in, in local places in my show and, and Motherwell. That's how we, we get, uh, get going. You're saying if you're brave enough to go to Glasgow, you we are the first unsigned band to sell out two consecutive nights at King Tut's. I mean, that's that's a hell of an accolade. When you kind of eventually did that, did you think, right, there's actually, we are, we are being taken seriously here, you know, there's, there's something here for us? The, the whole thing with that was when we started Vigo Thieves, all we wanted to do was play Tea in the Park. That was the sole goal. Uh, and we um, we actually uh, met the, the manager of the streets and uh, he used to manage the view, but he manages, he still manages the streets and he manages Dex's Midnight Runners, a guy called Tim Vigo. And he had, we actually taken him to Rangers versus Man United years ago. It was when Rooney scored the penalty. Um and he said, we, we took a we, we, mutual friend and he t- we went to the game and we went out for dinner and he said, see if you want to do this, you need to get serious because you're all over the place. What you've got to do is take six months off, don't do anything, don't do any gigs or nothing, go and write an EP and on that EP you need to have one song that stands out and once you do that, you book a gig and you book an EP launch and you sell that out and then you replicate that, you do it again. So that's how we started. We made a song called Heartbeats done an EP launch, sold it out, and then from there, um, Jeff Ellis and, and Craig Johnson at DF Concerts used Heartbeats as the song for the promo video for, for MT in the Park, and then we just replicated it, and then through then, you start to sell out gigs and sell out gigs, and that's how it led us on to, to doing two uh, nights consecutive at King Tut's. It just grew from there. It was basically just getting a plan in action and going through there. Aye. I mean, how did that feel then when you eventually did go and play T in the park? Did you kind of think, all right, that's us? Or does that then make you spur you on and think, right, oh, I keep going and, and do more? Because you've played like Wickerman and other things as well. You know, it was crazy, Sean. We, we did, um, we're playing the, 
We were on the exact same time as Imagine Dragons, and um, I remember we pulled up to the, the tent. You think, man, fucking hell, can't believe we're here. We've got our own dressing room, man. Our dressing room was next to Calvin Harris, and you're like, oh, holy shit, man, this is crazy. Mumford and Sons, you're like, man, what's going on? We turned up to the tent, and you're like, 10 minutes before you play, you look out, and there's nobody in the tent, nobody there. And I was like, oh, man, this is a disaster. We've got to play with no people here. Empty tent, here we go. So we went backstage, a couple of Jaeger bombs, a couple of beers. The intro music comes on and you walk out and the tent's packed. Literally, within 10 minutes, the tent's absolutely rammed and go, holy shit, man, clean team apart. It was, it was unbelievable. See, I, I, this is me kind of jumping away ahead, but just when you're mentioning Imagine Dragons there, see, for like your music that I've listened to, I feel as if I can, I'm not saying that you're just totally replicating them, but I feel like there's a strong influence for Imagine Dragons, but am I right in saying that about Imagine Dragons? Aye, aye, we've, aye. we've got a connection. Because the, 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 the sound, like I absolutely will talk about some of your tracks and that and the sound, but immediately I was like, that really sounds very Imagine Dragons influenced to me. There's also, I might, I might just be pulling this out of thin air, I might be the only person that thinks this, but I also can hear a lot of similarities with Ryan Tedder and One Republic. Um, aye. That that 100%. that totally like that that like rang a bell in my ear. Um, I, I want to talk as well before we do talk more about St Phoenix. I mean, you supported the Fratellis, the Wombats. Absolutely love the Wombats. A kind of random one as well, Billy Idol. Like, how did those things come about? Once you're doing well domestically and you're selling out your own shows, um, the promoters try to give you a, a helping hand, getting um, just basically getting up the ladder. And because we were selling out. Uh, we did Tuts and then we did um, the Archies and then we did the ABC, uh, O2, ABC twice. Um, when uh, a touring act is looking for a support, we were kind of top of the, the list because we were doing well domestically in Glasgow. So we did The View, we did The Fratellis, did The Cartinas and then Barry Idol, which was a, a curveball, but it was aye. brilliant, man. It was absolutely brilliant, aye. It was class. Where was he playing? He played the academy. Right, okay. Academy, he played the academy, uh, and uh, I was a bit, it was just a bit... walked about his top off all day. He's looking good. He was looking he's amazing. Yeah. Looking, looking amazing. He's probably spent a fortune on a personal trainer, and he's like, "I'm a fuckwit with a t-shirt on after putting all that I, money." Yeah. <laughs> Fair play. Um, I mean, another thing we need to talk about is your your track "Believe," which was chosen as the official anthem by the Scottish national team for the 2016 qualifying campaign. Um, was it was it the no? It wasn't the Ireland? Was it the England game at Celtic Park? Did you just perform there? We performed. I um, so it was. You I must have been delighted with that. Yeah, full Celtic Park. We had that saxophone player. Um, who we used to play live. He used to play on our live gigs. He plays in a band called The Wakes. I know um, The Wakes, aye. Aye, uh, so it's Chris Cruikshank. He's right. a really good friend of ours and a massive Celtic fan. And when we were we were at Celtic Park, he was he was in cloud nine. And we were just, uh, I, I said, we were happy to be there, I guess, but we'd rather, we'd rather have his eyebrows, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you can, you move on to St. Phoenix. Now, your fir- the first track I ever heard of yours, it was King, and I absolutely love it. I, I really kind of get enough of it. See, see with all your songwriting, because all, all the lyrics are very profound. You you have to draw really deeply, I suppose, on, on sort of life experiences, but 
with the, with the lyrics to that, and, and I would encourage anybody to go and listen to it, to me that sounds like a sort of new beginning, you sort of writing down, we're here to take over, we're not here to sort of piss about, am I right in saying that? I am um, 100%, and that obviously that kind that the song King is influenced by Imagine Dragons, so that, I'm quite, I'm really glad that you, you brought up the Velothies because it was a transition from that band to, to St Phoenix, and that came through us trying to get in contact with a manager of the Killers. There's a guy, a good friend of mine in Glasgow, he plays with Ocean Carson, Raymond Mead, he plays bass, um, and I went for uh, lunch with Raymond, and he says, because we were looking for management at the time of Eagle Thieves, he says, why don't you contact the manager of the Killers? Because you kind of sound killers and influenced. So I said, Killers, they're in America, we're here, and they want to manage. He said, listen, you know, you can't be having a song called Believe and uh, you, don't, you don't try it. So I said, fair enough. So he emailed the manager of the Killers, and as you imagine, nothing back. So a week later, he emails again and says, listen, uh, I have sent you an email to listen to your songs, we're looking for management, you haven't got back to me. I find it kind of rude that you haven't replied to an email and, um, you know, I wonder if you ever listen. So I was like, I'm never going to get back to you now. But lo and behold, you know, the next day, this guy comes back and says, listen, really, really sorry, we get thousands of demos a week um, and we've been really busy, but listen, we'll listen to your music over the weekend and we'll get back to you if we like it. So, uh, fair enough. And then, the weekend passes and a guy called Mac Reynolds gets back and says, listen, really love your music. Um, what want to talk over a, a Skype call. So turns out Mac Reynolds, he manages the Imagine Dragons. His brother Robert, Matt, he, his brother Robert manages the Killers and their brother Dan Reynolds sings in Imagine Dragons. So that's how that sort of, we got in touch with him just by Raymond Mead telling us to, to manage, uh, to email the manager of the Killers. So we got on a Skype call with this guy, Mac, and he loves this man. He starts talking about, you know, because um, we were looking for management. So we got here. We went to Las Vegas. We went to LA. We got to meet with him. And it was another guy for their company was going to managers, But it didn't really materialise. But we must have spoke to, to Mac over the period of a year and a half. And he told us, if you want to get serious about making it in the music industry, you've got to do certain certain things to your songwriting, certain things uh, for your production. And that's why we, we, we religiously listened to Imagine Dragons. You mentioned um, Ryan Tedder, studied like Ryan Tedder and his songwriting and how he was on the radio and how, how to do that. And we used the song. So he basically said to us, if you want to make it, five guys from Glasgow and an indie rock band, I can go any anywhere in the world, any city in the world, and I can find a rock band with five guys in it. If you want to be distinctive and different, think about those two brothers from Glasgow doing different kind of music, that's more distinctive. Than, so that's how we made sort of the, the discussion. Vigo Thieves was coming to the end, and then we wrote this song, King, which was about every time we went down to London and Vigo Thieves and record labels were there and said, you're not good enough, um, you'll never make it, and, you know, pretty much give up. So we took all that rejection mm. and, and you know, all the no's and turned it into a song. We wrote King and we helped, with the help of the, the wise words of the Mac Reynolds at Imagine Dragons Management, and, you know, that's how we put that, that song together. So it was a culmination of all the Vigo Thieves' trials and tribulations, and then... You know, starting mm. this new band with me and Alan. 
see, like as you are both getting older and stuff, and you've had a hell of a lot of experience. Do you sort of realise even more deeply how much everybody's success is the accumulation of the knockbacks and setbacks and like rejections and stuff? Million percent. Um, even when you're looking at folk in Glasgow, like like Jerry Cinnamon, people think just. Jerry Cinnamon came out of nowhere. Yeah. Jerry Cinnamon was playing in pubs when we were doing Vigothies in 2008 in front of nobody. Even Capaldi? Um, even like Lewis, we used to play Bathgate. Mm-hmm. Lewis Capaldi was supporting us in front of three folk, four folk. <laughs> but he was doing the rounds <laughs> back then, like Aye. blogging it. Um, he was writing in London for a year, sleeping in his manager's floor, hoping to get a breakthrough. And now mm-hmm. he's... You know, one of the biggest stars on the planet. So it's the way it works. Uh, I feel like in, in sort of any field, it's success is this word that's flung about and it's often quite vacuous and to a lot of people it doesn't mean anything. But I mean, I suppose success would be achieving what you want to achieve, but enjoying it while you're doing it. And I feel like there is a, I don't know, people will, will, will undertake something, they'll start something. And if they're not immediately successful in a sort of surface material level they'll go oh well fuck this it's not really for me whereas it has to be that first of all you have to love what you're doing and therefore the material success is kind of irrelevant because you're really you're enjoying everything that you're doing but when you I suppose the material success would come from external appreciation or sort of adulation um I, I, and I suppose everybody speaks you've mentioned Capaldi mentioned Jerry Cinnamon both of you two as well Everybody who's now having some rip-roaring success will have a probably a backstory to make your eyes water, and you'd think, "Fuck that! Like, why? How could you be bothered?" But if you love what you're doing, then then it, it it's not really that that big an ask, is it? I think that's one thing. You you, you when you do get older and you look back and you've you've been slogging about for for years, is you have to learn to appreciate every step. You know, you've got ambitions in the future, but you definitely have to enjoy yourself on the way. Um, we've came, our dad was our biggest fan and our biggest motivator, and he was the most positive guy, you know, in our lives. And he always told us, you have to keep going. As long as you're in, you're playing the game, mm-hmm. there's a chance to win. If you stop playing, then you're never going to win. And it was all about, if you can eat shit and walk through shit and just beat the, and you know, if you can put up with that and keep going, you know, good days are in the corner. And that's kind of what we try and, you know, go on. We just say, if it's shit, that's the way it goes. Just got to keep going until better days come. That's, that's incredible advice and amazing advice. It proper strikes a chord with me as well. I've had days like that where you think, what's the point here? But then, you know, you just keep going and keep going. As you say, the better days are always just around the corner. Um, yeah, You mentioned there about, about enjoying it and appreciating it and stuff. See, when you you were on tour with was it with Young Blood? There was something that you said that yeah. that I really loved. You said traveling through Europe, seeing so many amazing places, and meeting so many amazing people through music is a massive privilege, especially with your brother. After having been through so much shit, are you just got, going on that tour and having that experience and just thinking, "Fuck me, like we are so lucky here." People we speak to, like especially we've got a, a producer who we work with a lot. We've got a lot of people we, we work with. They're probably sick to death of us talking about uh, 2019, the year we had. Especially, I, I can't, can't explain how amazing the um, 
experience with, with Youngblood was mm-hmm. the first time we were on a tour bus, you know, it was unbelievable. The, the summer, the weather's amazing. You are basically playing a gig to every, every show is sold out. Playing a gig, places going mental because Youngblood's crowds are, are crazy. Amazing shows, selling merch. After that, you're having a beer, taking all the drink, the free drink from the dressing room onto the bus and you're drinking all through the night, you go to sleep and you wake up in another city in America and you do it again for three months. And very privileged, very um, grateful, special to Youngblood that we Aye. had the opportunity to do that. Um, it was the best time in our life. No, there's no getting away from it. Were, were there any standout cities or any standout trips that you said that at that point? Or it was all just one blur of absolute delirium and joy? Oh, Chicago, man. Chicago is un... What a city. Chicago is our favourite. We we actually, yeah. before we went to the Youngblood Tour, we get asked to... In golf, you get the Ryder Cup. And in tennis, you get the Lever Cup. And we we opened up the, the opening ceremony at the United Centre uh, in Chicago. Um in 2019, 18, 2018, um, and that was just a one-off thing. But every time we go to Chicago, it's brilliant. But we were um, on that on that trip. We like this the pop singer. He was going out with Halsey. He was going out with Halsey at the time. Halsey was she was oh, on the right. tour bus. All right, she, she, nice. took us, she took us to dinner in uh, in Chicago in this big private room. And we were just looking at each other going, what the hell's going on? And then... I was, I was thinking, I'm meant to be here. <laughs> I love that, mate. I love that. Uh, so we're doing all this stuff like that. And then you're going, you're playing the Roxy in Sunset Boulevard in LA. After the show, you know, it's LA, young boys, but after the show, um, Machine Gun Kelly drives up in a tour bus uh, and jumps off it into the crowd and then goes upstairs to the bar playing a private show with, with Travis Barker for Blink-182 and Youngblood and we're just sitting Tell me Dale Sean was there Oh, do you know we, we get so after the show in the Roxy we go upstairs Youngblood, Travis Barker and Machine Gun Kelly are playing because they've got a single coming out we're in the crowd it's all this early schmooze and all this the Hills crowd and all the rest of it Danny Ings is there <laughs> what? and Kyle for the view uh, is there weirdest thing what? ever bizarre Danny Ings in a trilby hat. Da- Danny Ings has got a trilby hat on in the middle of LA. Don't know what's going on, but it was great. Uh, Neighbor, no, Michael Jackson. That is mental, though. Because, but then there must be. It must go full circle, but it's so mental. You go, ah, yes, it's just how it is, and then it must just no register after a certain point. Mm. The whole, aye, it's just that's the way it is. And like we went to, we come back for the Youngblood tour. We go on Los Capaldi tour in America. Um, one of the songs in the set we swap over. So I play drums and he sort of jumps about. Right. He, he jumps off stage um, during the song, gets back up, we finish the gig. As soon as the gig finishes, I go straight to merch to sell T-shirts because that's how we try and pay for the tour. Mm-hmm. So I go straight to merch. He packs up the gear. When Capaldi's coming on, I run back just before he goes on stage. I go backstage. Turns out he's twisted his ankle. Twist it? It's like a big bit of slab of corned beef. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's, he's knackered his ankle. And I didn't know this. And I get backstage and Niall Horn for One Direction has got a big ice bag 
on Alan's knee, and I walk into the dressing room, and he's now for one direction, sitting with ice on Alan's his really? ankle, and I'm going, "What's going on here?" He's like, "Ah, oh, silly fucker, jumped up." Oh, that's my Irish accent, by the way. He busted his ankle, and I'm going, "Aye, this is just the way it is." It is. This is just again. This is just. I was meant to be here. <laughs> I, I love it. That. that is his mentality. To be fair, I'm kind of like, no, no I bother them, do. That's that's a good balance in it. There's one that's absolutely ripping it, and other ones going, no, we're very thankful to be here. And then people will just take that remix. Uh, how me. how was the tour with Lewis Capaldi? Was that across the US as well? Then, or was uh, that UK? That was across the US. So we were just touring with him when he was. We, he just got to number one halfway through our tour with him. We basically went for, like, we landed in, it was Houston, or it was Dallas, and then we went to San Diego, and then we ended up at Montreal in Canada. Oh, was so it was like one, the bottom end of America, the top, like, the top God end. Um, so we did that, and that was different because you had to drive eight, nine hours a day, um, and that was a bit of an eye opener. But again, what an experience, man. Mm-hmm. Travelling with your brother across America, playing sold-out shows and just hoovering up fans. It was brilliant. Uh, so have you have you maintained like a, a solid American fan base? Because I feel like if these people are going to see these gigs, they're going to latch onto you. Aye, I mean, that we had a... Pre-COVID, we had an American tour booked and we're going back out as a festival, a showcase festival called South by Southwest. We were supposed to play that and then get right into an American tour and that get cancelled. But we've signed to Atlantic Records over in America. So a lot of things are happening over there, um, but we can't go over. We're just waiting mm-hmm. to do that. But we have got a, a, a fan base over there. You, your tour, I was I was reading an article and it was just, this was, must have been January and it was talking about your upcoming tour, Bring a Friend 2020. Mm-hmm. We don't use the C word on this podcast anymore. It's dead to us, but... Obviously, we know why that kind of happened and stuff. Was right. that that? I'm assuming that was quite a saurian to to take at the time. Well, we did we did the, the headline show. We managed to go out and do UK and Europe ourselves, which was looking back. Um, you know, that's like mid February to the end mm. of February. Last show was St. Luke's. Uh, just an incredible time to have sold it shows. I mean, we were we were leaving for we were at Dover, and it was like five in the morning. And we were getting messages to say we're outside your show, and I was like, "When Paris, man? What's going on here? We're not playing till like eight o'clock, nine o'clock tonight." And people were queuing out, hundred and two hundred folk were queuing out in Paris at five in the morning to see us, and that happened all across Europe, Aye, and even in the UK. It was like I was like, "What's going on here, man? This is two wee guys for, for Scotland, two wee guys from the Shire." Do you know what I mean? Traveling <laughs> across Europe, and the UK, it was it was just such an amazing feeling, and then. Obviously, what happened happened, and we got put to a halt. But it makes you appreciate it more when you can reflect mm. on it and say, "Well, next, even next time, I'm going to enjoy it more. Aye. Next time we're out, do you know what I mean? Definitely." So, were you saying about the two hundred odd fans queuing up outside in a place like Paris? And it is weird. People in Paris shouldn't they be fans of two guys from Scotland, like wish te- especially. I like it. Just it doesn't make up. It doesn't add sense. It doesn't. Add sense. It doesn't make sense. Sorry, it doesn't add up in my mind. But I feel like when you've got such a hardcore fan base, these are the like the early adopters, and and we you two, and this isn't blowing smoke up your ass. But I feel like this is everybody's last chance to get on the to get on board before it becomes this runaway train, and then it, it is going to be 
arenas. It's not there isn't going to be any more really like St. Luke's or that. This I, I feel like this is coming to the end of that point. You're you're allowed to say right if you think that, but do you agree with me? I hope so. Hope I think so, right. that we're seeing signs that start to happen because you know in terms of paying your dues and playing in front of nobody and like for instance the St. Luke's gig. Uh, if we played St. Luke's with Ego Thieves, it would have been um, all the guys, right, we're buying 500 tickets. Everybody's got 100 tickets each and we've got a graft. And Craig at the airport said to me, why are you taking tickets? You should be, it's all online. Has that made, nobody, our mates won't go online. Our family won't go online. Now with the fact that it's all like we're, It'll probably sell in a couple of days now after being announced a week ago and everything's online. You just, you just the links there going buy tickets and you do that. And it's all, especially from the the, the headline tour we did in Europe, everybody was selling out mm-hmm. Amsterdam, Warsaw, um, Cologne. You know, I think it's getting to that stage now. And you can, because you always doubt it in your mind. You always do doubt it. I guess it's just been for a small town, two guys, feel sure. But when you start to see it, also, when you start to hang about with Capaldi and, and Youngblood and they see the end, don't you think, well, why can't I do it? Why can't I? I'm here on merit. Why can't I get to the next stage? So, fingers crossed it goes that way. See that wee bit of doubt in your mind? Does that make you work that wee bit harder or sometimes stay stay writing that wee bit longer to, to kind of stave it off and to fight against it? Uh, I guess... It's come back to that 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 what I said to you about my dad going through all that, you know, just keep eating shit until something good happens. That's what we used to say, is just keep going. We were uh, in San Francisco about four years ago and we had no money. We used to work with my dad. I, I was lucky enough to sign a publishing deal right at the start of St. Phoenix where I was, I was going to LA to write, but he was still working with my dad. Then my dad became get terminally ill and had to stop the business and he had to try and find another job and then we we went to we had a one-off corporate show in san francisco we thought we we're going to make money off it but every penny we earned from it was spent getting there and the agent wanted to get us there for a week so we spent all our money we think with no money we're sitting in a one-bedroom airbnb in san francisco Eating, eating $5 pizza, can't afford to go on the sites of that, we're miserable. Celtic beat Rangers, I think it was 5-1 or something at Hamden, right? There was, there was two rows, three rows, I think, so uh, it could have been anyone. But... One of them, it was one of them anyway, right? <laughs> but it was, but, and I actually said to Alan, and I've never done this, I says, I think that's me, man, I think I'm finished. I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't get up and then come down and not get anywhere because that was like maybe two years out in Phoenix and we wanted to make an album but didn't have any money and we wanted to get to the next level and, we didn't, and Alan's like, you can't write a song. One day I'll be king and shit the bed. Mm. You've got to keep going. And then we did, we came home and then three weeks later we had a, an offer in to do the album with, with Cobalt for our first album and that basically paved the way from there. So you always do have that doubt because you want you want success so much and you want to reach that goal. But I think part of that motivation has been so shit scared that it doesn't happen, that you're trying everything you possibly can to get there. And that's basically been our greatest motivation and going, 
I don't want to go back to Aye. working for ourselves or doing, you know, we've, we've worked so hard, we don't want to let it go, so we're going to do everything we possibly can to do that. And I guess it's the fear of your dreams slipping away, it kind of keeps you going. I feel like um, there's a there's a saying I don't know if you've heard it. It says I could live with being poor if I hadn't seen such such riches, Aye. and it's it's like you've you've seen it and you can't go back for it. I feel like you're both the the embodiment of bravery, and that sounds patronising, but I think bravery in its truest definition isn't the absence of fear or self doubt, yeah. but it's feeling fear and self doubt, but still persevering and taking that advice that your dad gave you. Um, Absolutely. But I think the big thing is, Sean, is, I mean, we were getting the early days of St. Phoenix, 2016-17, right through, we were getting streams, man, we are getting streams, we are getting all this stuff, and you're going, man, this is working, this is working, but then you're mm. on shows, and then you're not selling any tickets, because you don't know where the streams are coming from, so you're yeah. putting on shows Aye. thinking, oh, man, we'll be able to do this, we'll be able to do that, and it doesn't work, and you sell two or three tickets, and you go, fuck, this isn't working, man, yeah. that's when the doubt creeps in again, and then mm. you need to keep going, and then... You sell your first show, sell your second show, and then you do a UK tour, and then it just grows arms and legs. And I think when you see it working, even like reflecting now, when, when everyone's kind of put on hold, you think, well, we've done it before, we can we can go and do it again, there's none stop us. And we've got mm-hmm. a better, probably a better platform to do it now than we've ever had. So you just need to keep keep going, man, keep your head down, arse up. You go for that, I mean, as you're saying as well, about selling just a few tickets. Then last night, your track... Mountains was played in BT Sport. What was that? Aye, was aye. that the was that the preview for the the Super Cup final? Mm-hmm. Super Cup, aye. Um, no idea how that happened. <laughs> it just got played. But that that was the kind of thing that was happening early on as well. It was like, um, and music supervisors get to hear your name and your music. I mean, our music is very. It's called sync synchronization. Mm-hmm. It's that's what happens when you get played in TV or or a film, it's called Sinks, and we managed to get a good few of them to get us going, and that helps you get the name out there. Um, and all these wee things help you build and grow and get and get noticed. Aye, I don't want to prod too much because I'm aware of how uh, emotional and thing this is, but your track Up to the Stars, that was one that kind of, was really, really emotional. That prop, I, I think that's when I proper really started like rooting for you um, after listening to it with something really relatable and stuff is that just another example of using a, an awful experience to um, I don't know to, is, like, is that an expression for you is that is that cathartic, is that therapeutic we wrote a song Dead Men on the album which was the appreciation of the working man like our dad providing for his family how, mm-hmm. how the world is unfair and you know, you need that escape. You need that escapism to keep you going, and that that dreaming element. That was the song "Dead Men." Um, through the the process of my dad being unwell, we kind of wrote that song, knowing one day that he wouldn't be there. And we wrote that when he was still alive, but we wrote that in the terms of we know that one day you're not going to be there, and that's kind of our acceptance of um, what's going to happen. Um, and what up to the stars was about of where we are now um, that he's not here anymore and then unexpectedly we, we followed on from that with Happy Place um, his channel and that I, what we find is you're seeing people relate to it and kind of messages and 
um, comments that you know these songs um, are relatable to people and, and it is some sort of therapy for them to relate to. It's an incredible track. Um, it's it's one that, for anybody if they've not heard it, I would encourage them to go and listen to it. You can't really help. I'm pretty sure. Am I right in saying I would have seen a video for that? It must have been on Instagram or, or on Twitter or something. And it was probably when when a song like, stops in your tracks so much because I feel like the way I, I look at it is if if I heard the tune on its own, I'd be like, that's amazing, I love that. But if I read the words on their own without any music, I would also still be really taken by that. And I think when you've got a combination of both of those things, it's um, it's an indicator of a proper special tune, to be honest. Um, on, on sort of a lighter note, we're here to talk about Transmit. How excited are you to be playing that? And also, given the fact that Scotland is kind of back to normal. Person, I like, it's kind of... Um, it's kind of hard to believe. Uh, we play live with a, a guitarist, John, who's been isolating in Sweden with his, his message is Swedish. So he's huh. been away, a sound engineer them. His wife is from the Czech Republic, so he's been over uh, there. And just getting everybody back together. We're lucky that we're playing um, a support tour with you and me at six around the UK at the same time. It's Transmit. So we're going to have a busy September. But in terms of getting back... It's the first time we played Transmit, and we honestly home, can't do it. It's a hometown crowd, man. Aye. Scotland, Aye. don't know what it is. Scottish people have the best crowd. It's the best atmosphere. And anytime we play a hometown show, you just go, man, this this feels better than any other experience we've had. It's it's really mm. really weird. Uh, but to be put to wait a, a year, for instance, a year and a bit, um, is just chatting with a bit to go and to go and smash it. He's absolutely well as well. I can't wait to to uh, come and see you because I'm going to be working. I'm going to be doing like some filming and interviews and stuff. So hopefully catches uh, for an interview. But I'm also going to make I sure I'm just I'm just going to I want to make sure I'm in the either at the side of your stage or hopefully in the crowd, just going absolutely mental. Um, when, when, and then and then having to dust myself down and go back to kid not to be professional again. <laughs> Lads, thanks very much. By the way, I'll not take up any more of your time, but I've really appreciated this. I've really enjoyed having this chat with you as well. Uh, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Really, really appreciate it, my man. Thank you. No, a pleasure. I wish you all the very best and looking forward to seeing you and hopefully catch you for a beer as well at Transmit when she's finished. Should be Right, lads, cheers. I'll speak to you later on. Cheers, right, lads. Thanks very much. Cheers, boss. Leathered was written, recorded and produced by Sean McDonald in association with The Big Light. Music and post-production by Brian McAlpine and for more information, go to thebiglight.com. If you like this podcast, please check out all our other series including Talk Media, You Could Start a Fight in an Empty House, Talking Derry Girls, Brave Your Day, The Tartan Noir Show, Double Scotch, Great Scott, Trust Me I'm a Leader, Unearthed, A Sonic Hug and Old School, all on The Big Light, Scotland's podcast network. From the Big Light Studio.